0: Hey there. I'm Dr. Gabe Lowe and welcome to the Hard Questions No Answers Podcast. This is a show that is less interested in answering life's difficult questions and more interested in the process of wrestling with them. This podcast is a forum to celebrate the messiness that makes us human. It is a place to invite the unanswerable questions because often it is precisely these types of questions that push us to dig deeper, to think harder, and to refine our approach to life. So if you get to the end of the episode and you still have lots of questions, then I've done my job. I invite you on the pursuit of no answers. Welcome to the Hard Questions, No Answers podcast. I am so excited to release this episode. I uh, first came into contact with Shah Jahan's work through an award show put on by the Asian American Podcasters Association. And uh, his podcast, the King of the World podcast, was awarded by them. Uh, And when I listened to the podcast following that award show, first of all, I was so impressed by the production quality, especially as somebody who does a podcast himself. Uh, It was just very well done, very well constructed. But also, I was immediately hooked. Uh, it is a heavy podcast with some very uh, deep themes, but it weaves together history and personal storytelling in such an honest and thoughtful way. So, after you're done with this episode, I hope you will check out the King of the World podcast because uh, it was such a well done and enjoyable show. Shah Jahan Khan is a voiceover artist, actor, and musician based in Boston. You can hear him as Mateo on Rom-Com Pods Season 1, which debuted at number one on Apple Fiction Podcasts. Uh, Watch him as Humiyan in the first ever virtual staged reading of Rajiv Joseph's Guards at the Taj, produced at Soho Shakes and directed by Kanika Vanish and listen to his internationally acclaimed South Asian-American punk band, The Kaminas, as featured in Rolling Stones, The Guardian, Paper, CNN, and Mike. Please enjoy my interview with Shah Jahan Khan. Shah Jahan Khan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on. You're the, uh, you produced the King of the World podcast, which recently won an award at the uh, Asian American Podcasting uh, Award Ceremony. And uh, I had a chance to listen to it in its entirety and I thought it was very good, very, uh, just such a rich uh, experience of just sort of your experience growing up as uh desi american muslim american pakistani american uh and just sort of hearing you share so vulnerably from your own experience uh do you mind sharing a little bit about you know what was your process of learning to embrace these various aspects of your own identity
1: okay yeah definitely it's funny i i actually thought we were recording before you started oh, doing sure. <laughs> so i'll do my best to just repeat the thing yeah. it's all good yeah i think i, I was saying like um after the after doing the the show uh i kind of have come to terms a little bit with the idea that it's sort of okay and normal to belong to all these different pieces of myself you know and it's whereas i think growing up as in this first generation space especially you know for those of us that uh, also are in very like non diverse places growing up like i was Um, It becomes this uh, for many of us, I'm not saying everybody. I mean, again, it's not just one. It's my story is one of many, but Mm -hmm. um, just the idea that like, you know, you have to that it's kind of like panic mode, like sometimes like on the weekends, you feel like you're one thing. And then during the week, you feel like you got to be like something else um, and never quite feeling like a whole Whatever that means or whatever like society tells you, you know, you're not like normal or whatever for some reason.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can resonate with that a little bit. I remember going to college in the Midwest was my first time really feeling like a minority that when I was growing up in California, there was enough Asians around, enough people who looked like me that I didn't really feel like I had to search for people who looked like me. But when I went to mm. college, uh, I felt like I had to choose. Either I was gonna spend time with my white friends or I was gonna spend time with my Asian yes. friends. Um, exactly. Yeah. Where
1: And where in California did you grow up?
0: So I grew up in Southern California. Uh, and so okay. there's a lot of Asian immigrants, a lot of Chinese yeah. folk um, and some Korean folk. Uh, but when I went to the Midwest, um, you know, the, the percentages were vastly different of just right. sort of how many people and uh honestly it was a lot more koreans out there so i actually you know learned a lot of korean culture when i was in uh, i'm chinese uh, so uh, you mm-hmm. know i learned a lot more about korean culture when i went to the midwest which is kind of mm-hmm. ironic um
1: where and like where about you don't have to like pinpoint these, yeah uh, so i was code, in the but... sh-
0: yeah chicago uh chicago area um okay uh, yeah so uh around uh, sort of the, the Great Lakes area of Illinois. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for you, you grew up in, in Boston. Tell me a little bit about the demographics there. Is there a, uh, a, yes. So technically desi? it was,
1: so yes, actually there is, uh, so I grew up actually in a suburb of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I say Boston mostly because people know what Boston is, yeah, but yeah. it's not factually correct. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. So mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's about um it's a short Yeah, exactly. It's like thirty to forty minutes west of mm-hmm, the city. Mm-hmm. Um, in that in the particular and now my parents they. Uh, when they came from Pakistan in the 70s, they were in like Boston proper – well, technically Cambridge. My father was studying at MIT. Um, but they moved out to um, the suburbs uh, when I was two. Mm-hmm. So at that time, my suburb was white, just very, very – you know, white. We were basically one of maybe only two or three um, South Asian mm-hmm. families, you mm-hmm. could say. Um And, you know, even growing up, like, the friend group was, like, you know, mostly white, but there's the brown kid, there's the Taiwanese kid. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a token for everybody. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And there's, you know, there was, I don't, we did not have any black students at all in my elementary school. Um, There was one or two by the time I got to junior high and maybe mm-hmm. a few more uh, in high school. But yeah, the towns the towns themselves that I grew up close to were extremely non-diverse. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I took away from the podcast, the King of the World podcast, was sort of this, and, and I think uh, you put it very accurately when you talk about it as sort of a coming-of-age story, um, but just sort of these different avenues, these different ways of trying to, understand yourself to sort of figure out who you are and one of those avenues is music um so can you talk a little bit about sort of your musical journey and how that you know sort of how that was a a journey to to understand yourself
1: yeah absolutely um i mean i definitely credit uh my mother and father for the music stuff uh my father just an avid music fan of you know everything from like uh classical you know music from the Indian subcontinent and all the way to like Chuck Berry, Johnny Cash. Um, and, you know, even though my parents maybe don't play instruments themselves, like music wasn't always has been a huge part of uh, my childhood. So I was, you know, like a lot of, I guess, kids, you know, was put into piano lessons, you know, early on um, mm-hmm. the like model minority piano lesson thing. I don't know totally. if yeah. you can relate to that at all. Yeah, I, I got the violin um,
0: side. So yeah. Okay, so, you did. Piano yeah. or violin. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The kind of thing that um, you know, ironically even though our part of the world has such a humongous like wealth of music and poetry and art and stuff like it's seen at least for for uh in my community, my my family, it wasn't necessarily seen as like a serious pursuit, mm-hmm. but it was something that I grew very passionate about immediately. Um so piano and and theater even early on. Mm-hmm. And then um basically it was this Pakistani rock band that, um, was made up of like, um, two Pakistanis, one of whom had spent time in the U S an American bassist that really like got me really, really crazy about guitar. And like, that's kind of made me want to play guitar. And then, yeah, guitar kind of quickly became an identity of sorts. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I got really into it right away, uh, 13, 14. And I, you know, I got pretty good and, um, had like a, you know, high school cover band, (laughs) Uh uh Um, but yeah, it definitely just became, it became the the safe space for me, you know, the the guitar and and just like uh, when everything else, you know, kind of started to like unravel around me.
0: Sure. And when you mentioned the rock band, is that are you referring to the Kaminas, uh, which you talked about? No.
1: In- so I, I'm actually talking about this band called Janoon from uh-huh. Pakistan, who are my okay. influences. Gotcha. Uh, the band itself. So I mean, af- after high school, I uh, and you know, after having started to uh, dabble pretty seriously in um, uh, in some mental health issues, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. Like I did mm-hmm. uh, eventually start this punk rock uh, we and a friend started this punk rock band uh which then would be i had no idea was going to become like my life's you know work for the next decade 15 years 20 years almost so yeah
0: Yeah. and with that music it sounds like you're kind of deconstructing a lot of uh, perceptions about what south asian music is and can be and then also sort of the muslim influences as well and sort of your own sort of i think uh you talk about uh it in the podcast about sort of you know challenging perhaps some of the orthodoxies around that um you know what how did that band the kamina sort of represent you know your own identity formation and also sort of your relationship with islam yes yeah, so i mean the the band itself
1: was um started at a time where uh, and this kind of goes I think with the coming of age aspect of the the narrative series king of the world where you know I was a senior in high school when 9 eleven happened mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years later you know I, I struggled with um, early on with mental health with substance mm-hmm. abuse and stuff and so when I was kind of dabbling back into college uh trying to to go back to school I started this band I, I basically I found this other I reconnected with this other kind of Pakistani-American kid mm-hmm. who um, uh, from childhood. And we we were both kind of trying to figure stuff out, you know, uh, wanted to start a band. And kind of like the stuff that was happening around us, you know, in mainstream culture was this kind of post-9-11, very, you know, anti-Muslim, uh, warmongering American culture mm-hmm. Um and this is kind of – that's what you're seeing in the media every day. And so naturally, like, we're going to be writing songs that are related to the world around us, you know. And mm-hmm. so we started this, you know, a very, you know, a band that didn't shy away from anything political or um, – but also at the same time was writing songs about, like, you know, love and writing songs about, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. fake Bollywood-style train robberies <laughs> and, like, all sorts mm-hmm. of different stuff. And, and we just formed at this time when – MySpace and Facebook were just sort of becoming mm. things. And mm-hmm. anybody could throw up a MySpace page or something, and then we kind of like started to get media attention and stuff right away and started to see this whole like represent you know, I think now we have uh stuff like, you know, representation of different voices and stuff in the media, kind of like yeah, where it yeah. is now, and there's all this like amazing even like podcasts like yours and mine sort of yeah. happening mm-hmm. and um but I feel I feel like we were maybe part of an earlier wave of that stuff where sure, people were, yeah. were sort of like becoming, you know, putting their voices out there and then media was kind of latching on. It was white media a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. So like, you know, we we got we got picked up by like MTV and Rolling Stone and all these things, but they sure. wanted to focus just on the like on the Muslim members of the band. The band wasn't Mm -hmm, even entirely mm -hmm. Muslim, you know, and and I think there's episode three or four of my, of of our show deals with this, this media representation stuff too. So, Mm -hmm. so it was a confluence of all of these things kind of happening. Totally.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that there has to be pioneers to sort of push things like that forward and representation forward. Uh, And so, you know, I can imagine that uh, to sort of be on that cutting edge, you sort of take a lot of flack from both sides of people yeah, trying to and figure we were, out who you, know, you are.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were by no means the first to do this oh, kind sure. of thing. sure. Yeah. You know, actually, mm-hmm. in, specifically with South Asian music, you know, the UK actually has a pretty a much longer history mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. because of just the way that South Asians uh, are kind of uh, represented in the population in a much different way than they are in the US. So that, you mm-hmm. know, they've mm-hmm. been making waves in, in like – popular culture for quite a, quite a while before us, but you know, yeah, we definitely did it in our own way and we were able to like, not only just be this, um, band, but still continue to be this sort of like exercise in community building and, um, and yeah. And just like meeting, meeting kind of fringe people like us and, you know, um, building community that way. Yeah, yeah. And
0: another thing that you just that you mentioned is sort of this post 9-11 world that we're sort of living in. And that's a major focus of your podcast is sort of Mm -hmm. looking at the history and sort of where we've come 20 years later. And I'm curious, because it's only been maybe in the last couple years, as I've talked with other people who've been affected in that way, like I, I just never really saw or or never really came into contact with the gravity of how it affected the Muslim American community, the Desi American community. Um, and I think that is a difference between uh, sort of East Asian Americans and South Asian mm-hmm. Americans, where for me being more aligned with East Asian Americans, I can be a lot more white adjacent. Whereas for you having darker skin or looking a certain way or sort of having a certain perception from people that you sort of get thrown in a different category than I do. So I I think that that's a difference that, you know, I didn't really see how bad it got until I started having some of these conversations and then uh, your podcast comes along and sort of presents another perspective on it. So I'm curious, you know, as you did this project of the King of the World podcast, have have things gotten better (laughs) uh because i think sometimes it feels like you know especially with like the trump era it just sort of feels like you know we're back to square one or or you know have we made progress um yeah what's it what's it like from your perspective
1: yeah i think that that's something that people um kind of want to know all the time like you know have things gotten better and this and that and 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 it's kind of like i think that it's always like a complex and you know answer to that like Mm -hmm. you know in talking about um you made a good point for example about like adjacency to whiteness and stuff Mm -hmm. and you know even like brown folks like me do have that ability in certain ways and in certain circles and it's important to be conscious of that stuff and especially when it comes to education and privilege and these things um but like yeah in some ways you know i think that there are more more of uh there's more uh of me, let's take media for example I think like mm-hmm. I think there's more of a um, there's just so much more media out there so there are all these different voices but on the same spectrum things have become so siloed in mm-hmm. a way that like you can just focus on your own thing mm-hmm. and for a lot of us that is a survival mechanism you know like we can't just be out there like trying to convince everybody to like f- uh, to like listen to us totally um, but At the same time, like, um, it, I think it has provided us the, uh, the ability to just, to just, um, yes, there are more of us out there creating stuff, doing stuff, and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But, uh, at the same time, um, yeah, it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to reconcile, uh, you know the the 2016 election with mm-hmm. progress you know i i, I think the a good comparison is also for example when the george floyd stuff was going on mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. about how in my at you know childhood um i was taught that like the civil rights era was an era mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. happened in the 60s and 70s and then it was like kind of over yeah. And like we solved racism. Yeah, and we're we better like, now. Or, you know, yeah. And it wasn't honestly like I lived in a town where bad stuff didn't really happen to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to people really. Um, in that same way, you know, I talk openly in the podcast about addiction, you know, and mm-hmm. um, addiction is a very racialized topic. It has so much to do with racism. Sure. Race yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, I drove around in my in my suburban town smoking weed you know listening to music really loud i never got in trouble with the law so you know like there's there's all these different elements of things like that um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think yeah. that uh and yeah i mean i i think that there's you know regardless of 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 what's like going on like we do have to still keep like doing this work i don't know if i answered your the question that you asked fully i mean what do you what do i'm just curious like what do you think do you think uh in in your in the last 10 years like what mm-hmm, do you think mm-hmm. as far as like have things gotten better is that even the right question to ask you know what i mean like
0: yeah i think um perhaps a- even asking that question might not be getting at what the true root is um you mm-hmm. know cuz when i think about my childhood upbringing, I feel like there's a lot of similarities where I was taught some of the same messages about the civil rights era of it sort of being Mm -hmm. this contained thing that, uh, you know, once it was over, we've sort of lived in a post-racism society. Yeah, Um, And then, you know, with the Trump era and with the massacre in Atlanta that happened, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it just sort of felt like we took a couple steps backwards and it's like, okay, like, has Mm. this stuff always been there? And I think also contextualizing it within, uh, white, black racial tensions within America. I think that's sort of been something that, you know, has been a learning process for me of, you know, talking with my black brothers and sisters and saying, uh, and hearing them tell me like this stuff is going on on a regular basis, it's just now that the media is finally paying attention to it. And yeah, now just the rest able of, yeah. to, uh, and I think also like social media being a democratizing medium where people can upload things and you know the the voice can just get out there in a lot more accessible ways that you don't have to wait for the nine o'clock news to tell you about something um, mm. that you can just sort of access that on your own. Um, or Facebook can throw it on your, on your newsfeed and you have to kind of confront it. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, I I definitely think that you raise a a valid point where, you know, I don't know if that is the right question because I I think there's a lot that's happening that I just haven't been aware of.
1: I'm asking myself as much as I'm asking you. Oh, absolutely. So it's,
0: yeah, I, I for some reason it
1: just occurred to me that you know you're a psychologist, right? I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's one thing that I know uh, that that was really important for me in the last few years was having a therapist of color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like Absolutely. having someone that I could talk to, and just like the idea that like mental health in our community, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure in your community and mine is something to um that is really important and that we should like talk about stuff so that's still that's that's yeah I'm really impressed that like that's kind of like the path that you've chosen I also was a psych major when Mm -hmm. I finally did go back to college I have have a master's in community psychology I worked in Mm -hmm. behavioral health consulting for a little bit so um, yeah yeah so that's definitely like a really important thing and maybe that's a that's a way that things are getting better Mm -hmm. that we are seeing ourselves um in these kinds of in these kinds of spaces too
0: I think it's interesting you bring up the therapist thing because when I think about it I've had a white therapist I've had a mm. East Asian American therapist and I've had a South Asian American therapist and my best experience out of those three was with the South Asian American therapist. Um, You know, maybe there's some, you know, personal growth in that aspect as well. You know, that I started out with a white, then I went to East Asian, then I went to South Asian. Uh, So maybe I was a little (laughs) little bit more mature (laughs) along the way. Yeah, yeah, there's no, Um, yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, I think there is something to be said about being able to connect with somebody who shares some of the, you know, perhaps immigrant story Uh, perspective who knows some of that thing those things um, but also the fact that yeah so it's like
1: a baseline of Mm -hmm, understanding a little bit and it's like you said it's it's not that i didn't learn from i learned a lot of valuable stuff from my you know first uh -hmm. white therapist too and a couple that i had in between but when i was kind of ready for something specific i was lucky to find somebody Mm -hmm. that you know what
0: really worked out for me yeah, and that you can sort of share that language. Um, yeah, I, I think from a, a psychological perspective, we've been talking about it more, and I think it is only going to continue to be more complex. It's this idea of intersectionality, where mm-hmm. um, you know it's not just these uh, single siloed identities that we can sort of put ourselves into categories, but really, um, I sort of see it as the complex intermingling of different aspects of who we are, such that you can't easily disentangle it without sort of pulling on some of the other strings. So for example, you know, that, uh, you know, for me, being Chinese American, being Asian American, being Christian American, all of those things uh, have different experiences sort of tied to them, uh, that when you sort of add them, the sum sort of becomes greater than uh, the individual parts that there's something new that's created instead of just, you know, it means this to be Christian, it means this to be Asian, Mm. that sort of the sort of mixing together of everything creates a new product that can't then be undone. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious for you, you know, how have you seen that, um, you know, with your your parents being immigrants and with you sort of coming into sort of being uh, accepting that American identity too, um, you know, how do those things intersect and how do you feel like that creates a new experience for you moving forward?
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny you asked that question. So I just had, I'm currently also co-hosting this other show called Immigrantly, um, Mm -hmm. with, uh, they're on their 13th season and this season I've been brought on to talk about just a season devoted to love and relationships. Okay. Um, something I, you know, Honestly, never thought I would be doing, but here I am doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's been a fantastic season. It's been an amazing learning experience as well. But you just remind – so I just took a road trip with my mom. So my mom uh, is featured throughout uh, the the other show, King of the World. You know, she's mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. – uh, if we call her a character, recurring character <laughs> in my life. Mm-hmm. But I just took my – maybe my first ever, like, road trip with just my mom mm-hmm. because she, mm-hmm. she was our guest – on, uh, immigrantly as well. And she was talking about arranged marriage. That okay. was kind of like the topic. And sure. so we got to just like drive down to New York together. Uh, I got to, she basically like lived my life for a couple of days. I brought mm-hmm. her into, she'd mm-hmm. never been into a recording studio and stuff. And, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and I just, your question kind of made, makes me think about, you know, we talked about, you know, her understanding of, of, of love and relationships and marriage mm. and companionship and that kind of stuff. Yeah. and thinking about you know what her hopes and dreams kind of were for her children. Uh for me, you know, I'm also in a interracial marriage, you know. I'm mm-hmm. married to like a pretty cool white person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> uh and it is, It. I think it, it's an example, like, you know, uh, one thing she says in the in the interview, um, not to give out too much of it, it's going to be coming mm-hmm. out a little bit later, but it's just that, you know, she just kind of, she didn't, she wasn't too concerned with who it was that her children ended up with, mm-hmm. uh, whereas a lot of her friends were very, like, strict about, like, you know, no, they have, to, like, our kids have to end up with a Pakistani, they have to end mm-hmm. up with a Muslim, this and that, and she was like, you know, I kind of just want them to be a good person Um, But I do want to make sure it's not some – that you're just with somebody who celebrates who you are Mm -hmm. and who's like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe wants to go to Pakistan with you sometime, you know, and isn't like – doesn't think that this stuff is like weird and backwards Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so in that way, I think through being in a a long-term relationship, I have seen kind of the value in this like – Brett, this new thing that we're like creating, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not we mm-hmm. have kids, um, what that's going to look like. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely part the, the creating a new, th- I think that that's maybe even relates to the original tension kind of that you were talking about of like creating a new thing, but also like feeling nostalgic for this old thing that you mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. quite understand, you know, yeah, and I can't yeah. say that I've like fully, understood what that is you know like Mm -hmm. i'm for example Mm -hmm. taking a trip this summer hopefully to do a music residency in pakistan to oh cool people that will have listened to my series you know i did spend some time in pakistan it didn't go so well because of my mental health issues and Mm -hmm. i have been back since you know but not to do do like a project Mm -hmm. and i have some kind of unfinished desire to do something they're creative but you know, it's it, some of it is still this like magical idea of like I'm gonna go to this music residency up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just be like so Pakistani, <laughs> you know, and just like doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um but you know that that's a really important part of who I am. You know, it's mm-hmm. important for um me to, to hold on to that culture uh and to have you know, to have fluency in that in that whole thing, but also, you know, realize mm-hmm. that like um Yeah, you're right that there is like something new that we're like building here. I haven't thought it's I I, I haven't actually thought about it in that way for, Mm -hmm. for a little, a little while.
0: Sure. Yeah. And when you're describing your partner, I mean, the words that came to mind is somebody who embraces and celebrates. Those aspects of your culture um, that mm. isn't afraid to, and I think um, you know that's sort of what gets lost in sort of a colorblind approach to race, yes. where um, you're not able to fully celebrate it because it's just everybody's the same, um, exactly. and you can't exactly. have that embracing and celebration of the differences, um, and at the same time. know, we're also sort of getting at this uh, exciting opportunity uh, to be able to create something new, to be able to uh, appreciate the sense that nothing has existed like this in the world before, um, that that will just continue to happen the more that Mm -hmm. we allow ourselves to cross divides and to cross uh, boundary lines that were there before.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I think one thing that I definitely wanted to talk with you about is um, sort of religion and something that was very present in the podcast of the perception of Islam in America. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, in particular, I think this is something that for me as a Christian, like, and I think Christians can learn from Muslims, uh, is reckoning with the violence that's done in the name of our religions. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, because I think that as you uh, mentioned in the podcast and and sort of um, is part, I think, very descriptive of the kinds of themes that you wrestle with uh, for Muslim Americans in uh, America, uh, you didn't really have a choice of reckoning with it. You kind of it was kind of for the conversation was forced on you and you just sort of had to figure out and your community, had to figure out. What are we going to do about this? How are we, you know, what public statements do we have to make? Um, and yeah. I think there is a privilege within the Christian community where we haven't had, we, we haven't been forced to reckon with it. Um, you know, and I would say that, uh, unfortunately, you know, if you just look at the facts that uh, Christianity has a bloody, bloody history, um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe even more so uh, than Islam, and yet we don't talk about it in that way, uh, that it's sort right. of uh, very sterilized. Um, mm-hmm. And the focus gets put put on, you know, Islam is a violent religion uh, mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, it's sort of you're forced to have to defend yourself sometimes or you're forced to have to defend Islam. So I'm, I'm curious sort of, you know, what has that sort of reckoning or sort of processing looked like for you in terms of, you know, understanding your relationship to Islam and sort of what aspects of it define your own sort of spirituality or religiosity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's breaking it down into how I uh maybe pre-9-11 thought about those things immediately after, um, and in the years that I, you know, I guess the my show takes place, and then maybe how I think about it now. Mm-hmm. Um I think pre 9-11, it it was more of a personal guilt for like Mm. not really doing all the stuff my parents wanted me to do, you know, like maybe not paying attention in Sunday school or whatever, but it was not, it was almost even beyond a given that it was like, well, yeah, I have nothing to do with people that live in Saudi Arabia or Mm -hmm, the people that mm -hmm. live, I mean, yeah, maybe we're, but I'm just, I'm Pakistan. And and it just was like, these things just all were kind of there and I didn't really have to think too much about it. Yeah, yeah. And then, yes, it was a very over... But, I mean, I want to say I didn't have to think too much about it, but it was still confusing me. But right, right as I was starting to maybe wrestle with the mm-hmm, stuff that mm-hmm. you are anyway as a young person, yeah. senior, you're in high school, you're about to go to college, then this yeah. thing happens. It just got all blown open. <laughs> literally, yeah, like the whole... Thing, yeah, and no then from then, the, well, yeah, no, I mean, like, um, from there on out, it's just different, and it's never mm-hmm. gone back ever. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's like, yeah, it was not a pleasant, you know, experience to have to, you know, then be like, well, hold on a minute, wait a minute, like, what is it like? Almost twenty five? Like one in four people in the world is a Muslim, so Mm -hmm. how could it logically follow that, you know, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense, and how can we, you know, so going, you know, but then becoming hyper aware of this stuff, and getting really like into, well, I better know what I'm talking about type stuff, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, I remember an early source of comfort for me, and it still is, is probably The Daily Show, and Mm -hmm. like any Mm -hmm. of their offshoots, and I remember when they first got their first Muslim correspondent, Asif Manvi, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, And just and then you know my band also becoming a a sort of an outlet for like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just saying the things that you know like I I felt inside. Um, I think, yeah, it was definitely it's it it, and it hasn't. It kind of like goes. I think like Islamophobia follows this like kind of up and down sort of a graph depending on like what is happening. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Last summer, um, in on my street here in uh, in in I live uh, in in. Uh, a town called Winthrop, Massachusetts. There's East Boston and then there's Winthrop near the airport. Uh, A 28-year-old white PhD student shot. uh, He stole a truck. He had the intention of driving the truck into the Jewish temple at the end of our street. Uh, he, He didn't make it because he crashed the truck somewhere. He got out of the truck. He was walking along the street with a handgun and he shot and killed the only two black people that he saw on the street after walking by white people so it was an obvious hate crime oh totally um it was a terrorist attack is what Mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. uh in if in any definition in any sense of that word yeah it was a news story here in my parents didn't even hear about it they live in the same state huh and it was not a national story we didn't learn anything about his family Mm -hmm. you know we didn't learn anything like it was just a blip in the in the headlines and nothing after that so we're still yeah we don't know where that ethnicity he is (laughs) Yeah, we do. I don't know anything about, you know, I don't know anything. And he had, you know, uh, the police found like a uh, backpack full of grenades and ammunition and he was wow. really going to like do some stuff. And this was on like two blocks away from where I live, where I run and where I <laughs> bike. And um, and there's there's still like a, a little memorial of the place that he ran the truck into. But then immediately there was this big debate about, well, you know, let's not call it because the two people he ha- speaking of intersectionality the people mm-hmm. he happened to kill uh, who were black one was a um, air force uh, veteran and one mm-hmm. was a state trooper so mm-hmm. there was this whole mm-hmm. other state police officer so there's totally, this whole other yeah. thing and um but yeah i think as far as where where i'm at now like i have an i have a lot of support now you know i have a that i can Take these issues too, but yeah, I was just in. I think you were talking about Chicago. I was just in Chicago two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll never forget the distinction between this. I think I made an Instagram story about it or whatever. When I get to Chicago, I'm picked up by a a lovely, friendly black woman who's giving me like recommendations of places to eat. And Mm -hmm. that's my. I'm getting to Chicago. I had to do some work on my and, and the Uber ride to where I have to go. A few days later, Uber ride to the airport. I and picked up by a person who very proudly tells me that he's a former secret service agent. Mm-hmm. Um, he has like, you know, uh satellite radio, Fox news type stuff going in the car. Mm-hmm. He then tells me, uh, he asked me what, you know, uh, where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, you know, the standard, like, Oh, what do you think about food? You know, or like, uh, and, and then I, you know, I meant, I just have some, and sometimes you're like, do I really want to have this discussion? But sometimes <laughs> I don't know if you can ident- identify with this. You sort of pry someone to like, see like what it is they're going to say. <laughs> I tell him what my podcast is about. He's like, oh man, you better watch out. There's going to be another nine eleven in the next year. I'm just telling you my secret service. But, and I'm just like, huh. dude, what do you want me to do with this information? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. so in that way, like. I don't know. Um, I, I have to like work on my own mental health and sanity and stuff. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's still, yeah, it's in, in in some ways, yeah, it's, it's, it's gotten easier in that sense of like, I've got, I've got a community of support and stuff, but like, shoot, there's also all this like other Mm -hmm, crazy mm -hmm. stuff going on. So I went off on a bit of a tangent there. So
0: (laughs) no, I mean, I think what it reminds or, or what it makes me think of is, you know, I think that there is just a natural coming of age and identity formation when you are sort of a young adult. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think for myself, you know, just my own journey, um, it's hard to separate out, you know, was that just a natural developmental progression? Um, Or is it sort of forced upon or accelerated by the fact of being a, uh, you know, cultural minority in some in different respects, um, that Mm -hmm. you're forced to sort of uh, define that because people ask questions like that of where are you from? Or, you know, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah. And so you have to come up with an answer and then you kind of get annoyed by some of the microaggressions and then you try to figure out do I want to try to um you know figure out some of the underlying motives or am I just kind of tapped out for today and I just want to yeah. get a stock answer so that I don't have yeah, to but deal even, with even it.
1: the things you're saying like these these things that we now have a language to, to, to like, oh totally to say. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of this as a kid. So one thing maybe that has not gotten easier, but is different, we can Mm -hmm. say, Mm -hmm. is this this access to, like, you know, a lot of young people have this language and are Mm -hmm. very fluent in this language of identity, this language of, um, yeah, of, like, self-care and microaggression and these kinds of things. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't even know that that's kind of, like, what I was, like, going through, Mm -hmm. you know yeah so, if that makes sense
0: i think that's very true you know i think that uh you know from a psychological perspective if you can't symbolize with words then all those emotions that are attached to that experience can't be expressed um that they're exactly. just sort of kind of boiling up within you um yeah. and then you know, maybe if you are lucky and you get to adulthood and you have that language, then you can kind of go back and uh, sort of symbolize for yourself what it was that I went through. Um, mm-hmm. But how much more can you do on the preventative side of things if you can symbolize at an earlier age and be able to tell yourself, this is what's going on. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know that this is uh this is a very complicated thing that i'm trying to figure out for myself i think on the topic of mental Health. I mean, that's something that you address in the King of the World podcast, and you have a—I uh, think it was a, a Muslim-identifying psychologist on. Yeah, um, that was
1: one of the most. I think that. I mean, they were. It was all powerful interviews and mm-hmm. stuff, but that one specifically is one that I. Yeah. Really sticks with me.
0: Yeah, and so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that of what. Uh, what really resonated with being able to talk with somebody who has that kind of background, both professionally um, and also who is looking at this very specific niche of the Muslim American experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, she just, and I joked about this in the, I think in the episode itself, but on the final episode of the series, and it is, I, it's a sequential narrative series that I suggest if people want to check out, definitely listen to it in order. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, by the last episode, um, Dr. Mona uh, Amer, who came on, she, I think one of the very first things she said was like, nine eleven 11 changed the entire definition of Muslim mental health. You know, and she has very mm-hmm. like firm, but but soft-spoken, person um like any good you know psychiatrist should be um and another thing that she said was like you know it forced us to apologize for something that we had nothing to do with that might not be i might be paraphrasing there and that really blew me away Mm -hmm. and from that moment on i kind of forgot that i was even doing Mm -hmm. an episode i felt like i was having a therapy session with her (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but yeah just to in, in that framework of just thinking about um you know, early in the season also, I had, uh, we had a guest who spoke about, um, identity, mm-hmm. uh, as well and kind of breaking it down into integrated and parallel and, and conflicted and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a really nice way to like complete the, cause the, the show kind of follows sequentially, you know, the 20 years since 9-11, what's happening in the country year by year, what's happening in my life side by side. Mm-hmm. And so, having her on the last episode was a really helpful kind of like review of everything, mm-hmm. but also helping me sort of come into the understanding of like where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, re- and yeah, just somebody who, yeah, I, it was, it was really, really, uh, quite amazing to have her on.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I haven't put my own experiences into a, you know, my personal experiences into a podcast like you have. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when the shootings in Atlanta happened, um, you know, that sort of staggered me a little bit and I did some of my own research because, you know, I wanted to sort of figure out you know, is this precedented, you know? And, and so I came across some things that like, I just had never, you know, first of all, they don't teach us this stuff in, uh, you know, That's high school right. history classes yeah, of, um, you know, one of the largest lynchings in America was of Chinese people. Um, and uh, I forget all the specifics, but just sort of coming across that was like mind blowing of like, you know, I, I'd never heard about this from, you know, my family or history classes or just anywhere. Yeah, But, you know, I can imagine for you, the process of putting together this podcast probably took a lot of research. You know, what was it like for you to sort of dig into some of that history?
1: Yeah, so it definitely wasn't just me. It was a team mm-hmm. effort. Uh, totally. We had a, a wonderful uh, the CEO of our company, usadbot but um, co-producer. And then Lindsey Gamble was the associate um, producer. Associate, Everybody kind of helped mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. with screen uh, script writing you know i definitely i tended to focus more on the you know narrative about mm-hmm. me surprisingly yeah, makes sense <laughs> uh, <laughs> no surprises but so we would kind of side by side i would write we w- i would usually do interviews i would definitely get um we would uh, have research about what questions to ask each guest mm-hmm, and usually mm-hmm. from there we would kind of like Put, pull out quotes, and then between the quotes, I would think about, or I think about in each episode, sketch out what is it that I want to talk about in this mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but yeah, definitely like going through. Um, I, I remember some of the early, earlier uh, research that I helped with was, um, trying to, uh, get in touch with, for example, <clears throat> uh, for the surveillance episode, mm-hmm. uh, getting in touch with, um, with a person who had actually been, you know, under surveillance and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, definitely for like the, um, the media episode, uh, luckily having a network of people that I could talk to. Um, but yeah, it was really it, the coolest part was, you know, towards the end when we would be on like draft nine of because <laughs> each episode mm-hmm. probably ended up having nine drafts totally. before we would go in and record. Sure. Um, but then seeing how it all fit together and just like, doing the actual recording of the narration would for me really be like a, a creative release to just really see how it was all kind of fitting together, how it all like really made sense, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I think even up until we started the project, I didn't think that not that my story wasn't important, but that it like, it, it just, it wouldn't work. And I didn't also, I didn't want to be part of something. And I've said this before that like, um, just, Recentered Islam and 9-11 and Muslims mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's been done for so long. And I was actually quite hesitant to do this project for that reason. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, partially, because, you know, knowing that it's going to be the 20th anniversary of 9-11, knowing that there's going to be all this like, not I'm not saying not rightfully so, but sort of over the top like everything about it and just mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Muslims are going to be at the fo- center and, you know, people are going to be asking about like, oh, you know, all this stuff. But then... As we were putting it together, we realized that like, yeah, like you said, like the the coming of age part was how we could tell it in a different way and how I could frankly like tell the story that I have not been able to tell all Mm -hmm, these years, mm -hmm. even through music or through. It's not that I haven't like lived a somewhat public life, but I haven't been able to like kind of put it all out there in that Yeah. And that was important. That was important to me. Mm-hmm,
0: you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the storytelling aspect is just such a powerful medium uh to be able to yeah. relate to other people. You know, I feel like there were some uh, there were aspects of your story that, you know, resonated with me and we kind of alluded to it today.
1: No, I'll I'll be honest with you. One unexpected thing that happened was um someone who uh I was out to dinner with, uh their partner told me that um listen, I just want to tell you that Uh, my, my wife showed me this podcast. Uh, I voted for Trump. My dad voted for Trump. I have not really been a fan of Islam or Muslims at all my whole life. And after listening to just one episode of your show, I called my dad Mm. and we had like an hours long conversation about stuff. Wow. And that was something that I never expected that I could reach somebody like that. And the reason Mm -hmm. I was able to reach him was because I'm in recovery.
0: Right. I in Mm long-term
1: recovery also from addiction and substance abuse. And so that, that was his in Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. this thing that, you know, and also through, you know, no fault of his own, he was Mm -hmm. just not exposed to people like me ever in his town, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's maybe a blessing of the kind of globalized world that we live in that you could have access to people across the world. And I don't know where this person's from, but you know, that he had access to an experience that he would have not got otherwise.
1: Yeah. And, and if I'm blatantly honest, I didn't really care about someone like (laughs) him, you know, I didn't care (laughs) to reach somebody like him and he wasn't even somebody that was on my radar. But the next time someone in his family says something or one of his he will maybe he'll you know challenge it and Mm -hmm, that's a space mm -hmm. i can't reach you Mm -hmm. know
0: yeah and i think that is just something that um whether it is something that we're willing to acknowledge or if it's the elephant in the room is this sort of polarization that we see in our country and you know i i won't Mm -hmm. speak outside of our country because i don't really know but you know it, it feels very palpable this just tension of tribalism of you know us versus them of republicans versus democrats of mm-hmm. you know any sort of division that you can think of it's you know somebody can cr- create a dividing line mm-hmm. and yet you know i think what's so powerful about that story is you know i feel like i would be in your shoes too of like i don't really care what the other side has to say because they're not listening to us anyways so yeah. you know just deal with my own stuff and we'll just yeah. You know, live our separate lives. Um, no, that,
1: that that experience, this just happened a, a couple of months ago, and it really, mm-hmm. it changed me Yeah, know, when that yeah. happened. It was very uncomfortable, to be perfectly honest with you, when it sure. first, um, to just know that I'm kind of there in close proximity to this person, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what do they think. And again, not that I haven't been in those situations before, but that's, at that in that moment, I was like, I was really confused. Mm-hmm. But the more and more I thought about it, you know, I was like, yeah, this is kind of, this is why this is important.
0: Yeah. And so I can imagine that, you know, it, it sounds like it was kind of a risk for you to take on this project to sort of put yourself in, out in that way. You know, what was it sort of that, you know, finally pushed you to pull that trigger and say, okay, I'm going to do this podcast.
1: Mike, my partner, um, you know, he is someone that I've known uh, from childhood and, um, you know, we grew up in the same community. We weren't necessarily best friends or anything, but his belief in my vision and my story specifically just, you know, reinforcing. uh, And yeah, you know, look, I've spent a lot of time in therapy. I've been in recovery meetings and stuff, and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm very fine in admitting that there's still a part of me that doesn't value me, you know, and doesn't think that I have important things to say, even though many things that I've done sort of in the face of that assertion, there's still this element of self-loathing and fear and anxiety and stuff. And sure, but no, definitely him and definitely uh, his persistence. Um, and just, yeah, his just, um, yeah, I have to definitely give credit, um, to my partner, Asad for, um, just the opportunity, you know, and it's his company. He took a risk. He quit his job to start yeah. this media company. We both quit our jobs, you know, to just do this thing full time for a year and see what happened. Wow. And we, mm-hmm. yeah. And we recently also, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode, in addition to the awesome, um, award from the Asian American Podcast Association, mm-hmm. we got nominated for two Ambies,
0: which oh. were,
1: um... Some of the – so basically I got nominated as best host alongside Malcolm Gladwell, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. alongside folks from NPR, from Gamblet, from all these big media yeah. houses. And so we're actually flying out to LA to like this big fancy awards ceremony. That's awesome. And it's our little media company. <laughs> Never, it, we applied for like as many awards as we could afford to basically. Sure. <laughs> and we had like – you know so these were like the reaches. So just – and I only say that not to be whatever but to just say like – It's literally just flying in the face of my doubt to be Mm -hmm. like, no, Mm -hmm. this is an important story. I just – the reason I thought I was going to be late to this interview is a very dear friend of mine who I respect enormously and is uh, pretty respected in his field as well, a writer and stuff uh, from the UK Mm -hmm. called me. Like on on what – we haven't talked in a while and I was – and he was like, listen, I finally listened to your show. Thank you so much. And it's just, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm getting a lot of positive feedback about it. Yeah. But yeah. To, your question was, what has it, it been like? It wasn't easy, man. Like, mm. it, um, cause now it's all out there. <laughs> it's totally. like the whole story <laughs> is out, you know? Mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. and again, there's nothing wrong. Like, it's not, it's, it's more just, uh, I don't know how much experience uh, you or your listeners have with doing any sort of creative project, but some some of us have this thing where a lot of us do where you work, you know, crazy hours on something, maybe a year long project like I did, or it's an album for my band, or you know, it's like it's a tour or something that I've been on to play music, and then it's over, mm. and then mm-hmm. like
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's a few weeks. Uh, for me, if I'm honest, it's been there was a month or two after where it took me to just be like what the hell could i do now <laughs> that could possibly mm-hmm. you know not top that but mm-hmm. what could i do that would
0: be you know what what am i going to do next
1: type mm-hmm.
0: so, yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's not just that it was a creative project but it was such a personal thing too like you yes. said it's all out there now <laughs> no and
1: that's the that's the reason it's good is mm-hmm. because it, and you know because and every many people that have told me, especially folks that are podcasters or people that understand this medium of the narrative thing is that no, that's the thing that's missing from a lot of other let's say narrative journalism or you know totally. is the the mm-hmm. the
0: personal piece of it, you know, yeah, and i think I think the reason why that that is so. Rare to come across is because it is such a risk uh, that to put yeah. yourself out there vulnerably opens you up to being lambasted by your listeners, <laughs> and, and you know who knows what's going to be thrown your way. Um, yeah. But the upside, luckily, I, I have yet to
1: receive sure. any negative anything. But you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's out there. So sure. we're not we're not, yeah. we're not popular enough <laughs> for the, the terrible comments. Mm-hmm. But yeah.
0: yeah, but you know, I think the. And I, I've felt this too that the upside can far outstrip any potential negative. Um yes. because uh this is how we were meant to connect with each other is through story. Mm-hmm. Um and if yeah. if there's anything that I've been sort of really taking away from our conversation today is that you know, I think the antidote for tribalism and for polarism uh is being able to build bridges through storytelling, uh, through being able to hear experiences that, that are vastly different from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think just, just being very honest and obviously, you know, this episode, isn't going to be released for, for a while. It's still gotta go through an, uh, an editing process, but, um, in doing this podcast, there have been a lot of episodes that I've been. Not not hesitant, but very wary of releasing. You know, one of them Mm -hmm. was uh, on LGBTQ uh, plus issues. And knowing that I have, uh, you know, a a predominantly Christian audience, uh, that's just Mm -hmm. such a touchy issue. Uh, And it turned out to be one of the most listened to episodes that I ever put out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah and i think it's it's similar with this where people have um you know can have such a stigma or, or perception around islam you know to even just hint at you know i've i'm bringing on a guest who you know has oh, these wow, different yeah. characteristics I didn't think about that. you know i yeah. like i have no idea how that's going to be received mm-hmm. i've loved our conversation today and i've loved uh, me too loved no thank <laughs> you so much for reaching out specifically
1: mm-hmm. yeah i really yeah, appreciate yeah. It. yeah it's it's I'm still doing, you know. I'm, it, it's been a pleasure to do all the kind of mm-hmm. um, post King of the World interviews and stuff, and and, and yeah, mm-hmm. that's the part. You know, obviously, it'd be great if we were meeting mm-hmm. in person in real life,
0: but this sure. is the
1: next best thing, and I've really enjoyed meeting, yeah. and talking to lots of different people.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, no, I, I I've really, you know, appreciated that aspect of our conversation that we're able to sort of talk about these things from very different upbringings from very different mm-hmm. perspectives. But, you know, sort of recognizing that if we are seeking good in our world, that we have to sort of get over ourselves in a little bit, yeah, in, in a sense. absolutely, um, And not in a sense of devaluing our own story, you know, by no means, you know, that's, mm. that's been one of the things, but to get over ourselves in a sense of, we we all bring into everything our biases, you know, our our yes. sort of preconceived notions, and those things have to be deconstructed uh, because you know they're there for a reason. Hundred um, percent. But they're also very they're very limited. Correct. And so you know, I think that it's really cool to hear you share very honestly about, you know, perhaps the biases that you had against this Trump uh, voting person Mm -hmm. who uh, you would have never come across in a regular interaction, or you probably wouldn't have sought out. Yeah, I think
1: sought out is more accurate. Totally. I definitely have come across. Oh, that's true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they might uh, impose themselves on you. (sighs) Um, But yeah, that that you wouldn't have sought out. And yet, it can be such a a beautiful, a beautiful example of of human connection and interaction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As we're sort of wrapping up, do you mind sharing? You, you you know, when when uh, when we're emailing back and forth, you've got so many different projects going on. (laughs) Um, You know, you've got this immigrantly podcast that you're doing, and I did listen to an episode, and I thought it was it was great as well. And then, you know, you're a musician; you've got that. Uh, residency in Pakistan uh, that you, you know, is perhaps on the horizon. Can you just share a little bit about, you know, you're dabbling in all these different things and (laughs) and sort of uh, what's, what's going on for you right now?
1: Yeah. So um, in addition to the King of the World podcast, I'm uh, based in Boston. I'm an actor, uh, voiceover artist as well, a narrator. I just did an audiobook which came out earlier this year. Mm -hmm. I do, you know, with voiceover, I do lots of different stuff. Um, music. I've been a musician, uh, professionally, semi-professionally, for more than eighteen years now, to almost twenty years. Uh, with primarily with the punk band called the Kaminas, K O M I N A S. I've also recently joined a band down in Providence called Ravi Shavi, R A V I S H A V I. We actually have a gig on Saturday. Um, I have a side project with them i have another band out with a friend in west coast called gods but the s is with a dollar sign Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i have another project with another (laughs) friend out in arizona uh, called chan the sequence chan like moon um so i'm always doing i'm always doing something you know for somebody like me it's really important to just like keep doing stuff keep making stuff um Mm -hmm. you know that's when i feel like most fulfilled and happy
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well keep putting good stuff out there and you know you people too. can you know know where to find you and i'll have some of the links on my website um but great again thank you so much for thank uh joining you. me today thank you so much gabriel appreciate it thank you for tuning in to the hard questions no answers podcast Still have questions oh good i was afraid we answered them all for more information about HQNA Podcast, visit That's drgabelowe.com. That's D R G A B E L O W E.com. Additional educational materials recommended by my guests can be found in the podcast tab. And for updates, news, and behind the scenes, follow HQNA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HQNA Pod. HQNA Podcast is independently produced by Gabriel Lowe. Music is Cocktail Fun by Stock Music 331, found on Pond5. And logo design is by Kenny Lowe. Stay tuned for new episodes released each Wednesday. And thank you for joining me on the journey of no answers.